0: Good morning everyone! Happy Easter! It's so odd, isn't it? You ask the same questions out loud, but you, you know, you're not meant to get a loud answer and then you have to do the whole thing in your head. It's like everything at the moment, isn't it? You just have to do the whole thing in your head? Do you like what they've done with this place? Um, we have an amazing team. Have you noticed the cross? This isn't part of the talk, but it's not a bad talk, is it? Have you noticed the cross? Can you do something clever with the cross? Can we make something happen with the cross? Oh, look! The cross, Jamie Lewis. He's a star, isn't he? Let's give it for Jamie and all our team. So Jamie has, uh, Jamie's made that. Jamie's made that cross and uh, it changes colour and everything. It just, we're so blessed. And uh, do you like what we've done with the place? Yeah, we just thought needed to be a little bit more Cheltenham, so we put in lots of wood and to try and make up for me, we've even put some trendy lights down at the back now, so I feel young, basically. <laughs> that's, that's what it's all about. So good, isn't it? So how are you feeling yet? Yeah, Tim and, and Hills, thank you. Just absolutely kind of on, on the money, of course, with what we're thinking about this morning. And, the, and this thing about we don't know how to think. Well, I don't. I mean, if, if you do... If, if you really know how to sort of handle all of this and make sense of it, then could you come and see me afterwards? I used to be a teacher. I don't mean you're in trouble. But I'd love to know the answer. I'd love to know the answer. And, and I do have some things to say. Don't worry, to be encouraging. But I just want to really reassure you. If, you, if you're not sure how to think, if you're at home, Trinity House, here in the building, I think you know that's really okay. What would you say is the best ever faith-based film? The the number one best ever religious faith-based film ever. You can't say out loud, but just behind your mask. What are you you thinking is the best ever? I'll tell you the answer. The single best ever faith-based film Watch this, I and mean, if you're online and you wouldn't say yet that Jesus is your friend, you know about Jesus but you don't know him. Watch this film this afternoon and you will be sending in a testimony to goodnews at TrinityCheltenham.com because it's changed your life. It is, of course, The Blues Brothers. <laughs> the Blues Brothers is the single best film ever. Just full stop. And, and secondly, it is, it is just as important. It, it will lead you to Jesus. If you don't know the film, Jake Elwood, it's a redemption story. They, they, they are in trouble. He's coming out of prison. Jake, um, Jake's coming out of prison and he gets taken to a church. We'll just put this up again, Cheryl. Sorry. He gets taken to a church. And uh, there's the most amazing band. Ours are pretty good and did a really good job. But they've got some awesome people in the band. And, and the light of God falls on Jake. Can you see the light? Can you see the light? And he, go, he responds, I can see. I can't do it. <laughs> it's kind of just imagine it's good. I can see the light. And then they flipped out. Now listen, there was some dancing at the back. Nikki was leading that. And there was some hands waving. But in the film, there are triple sort of kind of somersault things. As you're watching the film and the band... Is it Aretha Franklin? I can't remember who it is doing it anyway. No, it's not Aretha Franklin. Anyway, they're really good. And there are people's... I love that film. I, I adore that film, A Story of Redemption. There are better films, perhaps, if you want to become a Christian, but... I've watched it lots of times. I've watched that film loads of times. I know the ending. I won't spoil it for you because a number of you are going to have your lives changed this afternoon by watching The Blues Brothers. I know the ending of the story. I love the ending of the story. I love how it, it holds the world record still for the number of cars destroyed in a single film. The original film held the world record for the number of police cars destroyed in a film. And, and then they made a remake and that overtook the first film with the number of police cars destroyed in a single film. I love it. It's a pastor's kind of film. Cars being destroyed. I'm nice to everyone on a Sunday morning and then in the afternoon I can watch destruction. But I'd love to watch that film again right now. You know, I know the end of the story. I, I know how it ends. I know the big, big end won't spoil it. I know the redemption bit. But I would watch that film again because I love joining in with the story at all of the different bits. There's, there's jeopardy. You know, there are bits where it looks like it isn't going to go right. There's, there's bits where you wonder how they're going to turn it around. There's some really interesting characters who come into the film. Even though I know the end of the story, and I love the end of the story, and I'm looking forward to the end of the story, I I love joining in and watching the film through every bit, and I love experiencing again all of the different bits of the story. I love connecting with these oddball characters. And, And Tim's already kind of said it a little bit in praying, and we were praying it before today, and I, I feel this strongly, I think we have a sense that don't worry, don't worry if you really don't know how to feel at the moment. It's, it's, it's fine. If, if you're at home because you're still isolating, you've been living on your own, you, you're wondering you know, where God is and all of this. You're, you're wondering what the, the new normal is going to look like. You're wondering what does it mean to go back to work if you've got work. You're wondering about the whole of your, your career, the whole of your life. You're wondering about family relationships. You're, you're wondering about your relationship with God. God, where were you? How could you have allowed this? There's, there's lots of questions that we kind of put on the shelf for a period of time. I've certainly done that as leader of a church. I've sort of focused, what do we need to focus on now to get through this time? And of course, so I get to this point of lockdown easing and I've got a mix of both relief and joy. And I, I, want, to, I want to do all of the good things that there are. But there are all those questions that have been stacking up that I haven't addressed, that we haven't talked about quite as a church. We haven't navigated you know, we're going into a, going into a period, aren't we, where, where instability is going to continue because all COVID did was further expose the instabilities and the weaknesses and the difficulties in our society that were already there. People are going to act more selfishly for a period of time. You can, you can see that already. COVID passports, you know, the rubbish on, on, on the parks, Even when the bin was just right alongside, people are going to do this. This is how we're going to act. We, we. Society will be more divided for a period of time. And if you're divided, then you're often angry. And society is going to be angrier. It's fed by selfishness. Just need to look after ourselves for a period of time as we we recover. And the big questions, the the moral and the philosophical questions that have come up and out during this pandemic are are just going to be there even bigger. And, And the ones that we had before, what do we do about artificial intelligence? When can a car decide if it should hit this person or that person or not? Can a car even decide that? Or can a person decide that? Genetics. We're in a world, friends. We're moving into a world which Ever, ever more needs deep answers, not shallow answers. Shallow solutions aren't up to the job. And the good news, the good news is we have a really deep, deep truth to offer into all of that. And it will be the truth that we keep choosing to follow Jesus with our questions, with our doubts, with our struggles, with our own unanswered questions. As Tim has said, if you're feeling more Maundy Thursday, If you're you're feeling more Good Friday, if you're feeling, as I think a lot of people are, Easter Saturday. It doesn't stop you living in the light of today, of Easter Sunday. It doesn't stop you from knowing the ending of the film and delighting in it and, and, and celebrating it and looking forward to it. It doesn't stop that, doesn't negate that because Easter is a whole piece. It's all the Easter story. It's all what our God has gone through for us. If you're watching online or you're here in the building and you're hearing this for the first time personally, that, yeah, Jesus died for you. God couldn't do any more for you. He came down to earth. He walked on earth. He lived. He breathed. He cried. He laughed. And he said yes. In a world that actually looked quite a lot like ours, there was a dominant worldview. It was the Roman Empire. Our dominant worldview in our culture is shaped in other ways. It was a a shame culture. Roman culture of the time of those first disciples was a shame culture. Vicious satire was the order of the day. Just like our culture. So whether you are Thursday, Friday, Saturday or Sunday, you can enjoy the whole of the story. You can connect with the story, however you are, whoever you are, wherever you are. Just like me, not certain of all kinds of things. But certain still of the end of the story and living in the light of the end of the story. Here's Mark's version of that that first morning. Let's just quickly read it through and just spot people like us. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. It's going to come up on the screens. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? They were not certain. They did not know. As Hill said, they hadn't seen the end of the film yet, but still they went. They had the courage. Those women who were there at the end had the courage to be the first to go. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. How do you explain the empty tomb but for the fact that Jesus came alive again? There was a large stone. It was guarded by Roman soldiers. If if they had wanted to, they could have produced Jesus' body, couldn't they, to, to refute the claim that he'd risen again. If the Jewish leaders had stolen the body, they could have come and produced Jesus' body. If it was robbers, how did they get round the guards? How did they roll the stone away? Is there any other explanation than that Jesus did exactly as he promised? As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. They were scared. They were frightened. They couldn't make sense of it. Because it was beyond their control. It was beyond their categories at this point. Just like so much is beyond our control, beyond our categories. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. This is who we're talking about. Jesus was crucified. He was buried. He did die. But he's not here. The tomb is empty. Explain that any other way Then he's done exactly what he said he would do. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. It's physical. You can see it. You can touch. It's bodily resurrection. It's not spiritual. Bodily resurrection. It is spiritual as well, but you know what I mean. <laughs> But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, not singing happy day, notice, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Of course, that's not true, is it? They must have told someone. That's the traditional ending of Mark's gospel. If you're looking in your, in your Bibles, you'll see that there's another bit where some sense has been made of Mark's gospel by adding a piece at the end. But you see, the women didn't need to know about the resurrection of Jesus. They already knew that when this was being written. Because they'd met him. They're looking back. They know the end of the film, but they're looking back through the story and asking the question. And Mark is answering it. How did we get here? We know Jesus is alive because we've met him. We've experienced the resurrection. How did we get here? What did he tell us? What did he promise to us? What have we seen proved before our very eyes? You see, life had got harder, not easier for them. Why do you flee? Why are you bewildered? Why are you amazed? Well, because now you've got to stand up against the dominant worldview. Now you, you, you're not only taking on the Jewish religious leaders and, and, and what they have said about Jesus and how you want to say, no, he is the Messiah. Sadly, you're still waiting for Elijah and then the Messiah to come. But Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one who has fulfilled everything written about him in the Old Testament. That's a, a religious sort of kind of argument, isn't it? But they're now having to also face down the Roman worldview, the prevailing worldview of their day. That Caesar is the greatest. Romans were very clever at a multiculturalism and interfaith where they would just absorb everyone and say, you can have your God, you can have your gods and they can be personal as long as you bow down to the God of the age, the Caesar. It's just like now. Christians, you're okay. You have your God. You have your beliefs as long as they are personal and private. Don't bring them into the public space. They needed to know how they'd got there. And that's why Mark wrote his gospel. Of course there's encouragement isn't there because as I've said they didn't actually end up doing what they said they were going to do which was to tell no one. Their lives were transformed, they found boldness, they found courage. They found that whatever the questions, whatever the challenges, whatever the prevailing worldview and then the persecutions that were going to come, the the power of the shaming culture in which they live, the the physical force that was exerted upon them by the, the state. They found the courage in the story of Jesus, in the presence of Jesus. They did find the courage to tell others. They found the Jesus who draws alongside. Over the next few weeks, we're going to hear about Jesus drawing alongside us. Have you noticed the banners around church? There's a load of white banners around church. Click on the QR code and it'll take you to a testimony from someone around some of the words, accused, crushed, despised, betrayed. And then there's one big banner, isn't there, on the front? Love has won. And again, it just reflects the point. That whoever you are, wherever you are, however you are looking at this world ahead, whatever questions you have, whatever struggles you may have, you're invited to join in. Join in with our God who loves us so much that he came down, he walked on earth, he stretched his arms on the cross, he bore for us. All of our sin. He took away the separation between us and God. He said yes, that wipes away and absorbs every no. The God who comes to meet us where we are. Not the clean, spruced up version we might like to present ourselves with. The God who comes to us and meets with us in accusation, in betrayal, in doubt, in fear, in bewilderment. In, in pride that might say, why do I need God to do stuff for me? In a, in a culture that shames, in a worldview that tries to privatise our faith, our God comes and meets with us. He draws alongside if you're on Thursday, Friday, Saturday or Sunday. And we're in a world... That really needs some deep answers. And, and deep answers actually confuse often at first. Deep answers of the kind we're talking about to the spiritual needs of the world, well, they feel different because they are different, they're, they're upside down to so much of the thinking of, of this world. We've been really encouraging everyone in our church family to adopt what we call a rule of life. It's a term that's been used for centuries in the Christian faith. There are these little leaflets that you've had at some point back in the pandemic, but may have got lost underneath the pizza leaflets. Forgive me if it hasn't and you're already doing this. But if you're not, the world that you and I occupy live in, have to try and breathe in, have to try and make sense of. A world actually that had many similarities with those first disciples, it needs deep people, not shallow people. It needs people who will say, okay, I will, I will look at my life and I won't, I won't follow a rule because St Andrew or anybody else tells me to, but I'll say, God, in, in relation to my prayer, did, did it do it over the last pandemic, over the 12 months? Was my personal prayer life, was it, was it shallow or was it deep? What would be some habits to take me deeper? In, in terms of how I rest, who needs a rest at the moment? Who's exhausted? So we need physical sleep, but we need to dwell with God. Maybe like me, you've kept going on adrenaline for 12 months. What does it mean to dwell with God? I mean, really dwell with God. Not just ask him to deal with the immediate urgent, but but the deeper. Again, maybe you know a lot more about this than I do already, and you're ahead of the game, but if you're not... relationships you know like me if you had 12 months of little little resolutions about what you would do in regard to a relationship and you're sitting here you're with me and knowing there's quite a lot that didn't actually end up happening that if I had had my time again if I was to watch the story again watch the film again well our our God is not a replacement God our God doesn't scrunch us up and throw us away. Our God remakes us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what would it look like for you to be deep in relationships, not shallow? What would be the habits, the practices that God, the Holy Spirit would say to you, do this and it will change your life? What about work, paid or unpaid, service? I know for you guys who work in the real world, kind of day to day, I know you can't talk about Jesus in the way that I might hope to talk about Jesus. I know, I know you're in, in a dominant worldview where you, you have to be conscious, but our God is a God of transformation who breaks and, and doesn't stick to the same categories as us. He transforms, he changes. Ask him what habits you could have. You don't have to call it a rule of life. We call it here at Trinity a, a rule of life because we want to be serious about it. And then, and then the second thing you're going to really need is, is something like this. Because, because we're in a world that needs radical hospitality. Now, I'm not talking about just being nice to people. I'm not just talking about having dinner parties at 8 o'clock in, you know, on a Friday with my friends. That's a worldly understanding of hospitality. I'm talking about the God who who makes space for us, who who welcomes us in, who welcomes us to the table, who served Judas with bread and with wine. I'm talking about the hospitality of God who says, prioritise the stranger, prioritise the lost. We need to to be a, a church, David Baker has suggested, of a thousand barbecues. Well, well, don't do them if it takes a lot of prep. Don't do it if, it if it requires you to really clean up the house. Just invite people in. Invite people across our church family in. Use the excuse. One of my favourite lines at the door is, I'm sorry if I knew your name, I've forgotten. I kind of used that and I apologise. Some of you are probably annoyed with me now. Well, use the excuse of, of, I haven't seen you for a year. What is your name? I, I, I'm so sorry. And then with others, with your neighbours, with your friends, with your work, say hello with depth. Have a coffee with depth. Welcome people to your table with depth. Welcome uncomfortable, difficult people who have faced accusation, who are confused, who have a dominant worldview that is not a godly worldview and live out a godly hospitality. Pray and invite. And then you're going to need one of these, aren't you? You're going to need a towel. Because there's a lot of foot washing that needs to go on. The way of our God, the way of Jesus, the way of resurrection, the power of the Easter story. Washing the dirt, the mud, and other things. And the the beginning of it, the hardest thing of all is to let God wash your own feet. I can't do it. I'm so pleased (laughs) with you today. But actually, truthfully, as a minister in a church, I've done foot washing many times. And I'll tell you, the hardest single thing for me is to let anybody else wash my feet. It's really not hard to wash other people's feet. But to let people serve you, to let people wash your own feet, to let the dirt and the grime of your own life. That's deep. That's the kind of depth that a shallow world really needs servants who lay down their lives.